we're in chapter 12, and last week uh, we had some guests here, uh, some friends of ours from Augusta, and he preached uh, on verses 1 and 2. So we're going to begin with verse 3 this morning. And before we do that, can I engage you in a group activity? Can we all stand? Can we all stand? Do you remember the song, or have you ever heard the song, When We All Pull Together, Pull Together, Pull Together, When We All Pull Together, How Happy We'll Be, For Your Work Is My... Okay, so so I'm going to sing this for you, but you have to still participate if you want to. You don't have to. Uh, so if you'd like to, turn around and form a group of anywhere from like two to four to five people. Grab their hand, okay? Yes, grab their hand. Grab their hand. And as I sing, you kind of have to do a tugging motion back and forth, right? Like you're pulling, you're pulling together, okay? You're pulling together. So you just, you just pull along until, we, until I stop singing. And if you know the song, sing with me. All right, here we go. Here we go. Let's pull together. When we all pull together, 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 when we all pull together, how happy we'll be. For your work is my work and our work is God's work. When we all pull together, how happy we'll be. All right, give yourself a hand. For your work is my work, and our work is God's work, right? I had to go way back to my early years to pull that out, and uh, thankfully I remember the words to that song. When, you, uh, when we all pull together, how happy we'll be for your work is my work, and our work is God's work. So this morning, uh, simple title is Work It Out. Work It Out. Let's pray right quick. So, Lord, we have welcomed you. You are here. You are present. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to open up our hearts to you, that we can, um, that we can lean into you this morning. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for just being here and um, sensing you and knowing that you are uh, that you're here, that you're with us. We thank you for your word that brings life to us. Um, Lord, we thank you for the transformation that we are all on in you and ha- how you're making us and molding us and shaping us. So, Lord, help us to lean forward into you with, uh, with expectation. Just as Chad said earlier, we don't, we, want, we don't want to limit you in what you want to do in our lives. And uh, so help us to live that way. Help us to lean in. Give me your words, your wisdom, and your ways this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we've all asked the question, uh, what is God's will for my life? Have you not? What is God's will for my life? I asked that question early on. Uh, I asked that very often. Um, What is God's will for my life? Um, Graduating high school, going into college, I asked God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And As a follower of Christ, the subject of God's will is significant because we naturally desire to please God, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, uh, our desire is to please Him. But there's also a secondary reason that the subject of God's will is so crucial in our life. 
And that is this, many people lack purpose. They feel like they lack purpose in their life. Psychologists have, have admitted in their studies that, that, that prove and show that for a long time, that there's, it's been known that one of the great problems men and women face is a feeling of emptiness and aimlessness. Right? Where am I going? Where am I headed? And this, this, this ongoing pursuit of what do you want me to do? What, what can I devote my life to? Um, how can I make an impact? How can I make a difference? Uh, maybe it's um, uh, the desire to make a lot of money. or what, Those things can kind of turn inward if we're not careful because we just want to be doing something. Right? We want to have purpose. We want to have meaning in life. So uh, today, last week, uh, like, like I mentioned, um, Patrick talked on verses 1 and 2, and he titled it Transformation. Transformation of what happens as God transforms our mind and, and all of those things and inwardly, and what does worship really mean? This, this ongoing and ongoing relationship with Jesus that he transforms us as we're walking in relationship with him. So today, uh, I'm going to talk about some specifics that Paul lays out in the scriptures, verses 3 to 8, that talks about this, that addresses this need to be giving our lives to something, right? Uh, giving our lives, uh, we can typically uh, kind of push that towards a career or a job, but if we are a follower of Christ, we know that that is one way that God uses us in our life. But there's a deeper meaning behind everything that you and I do. And regardless of what you find yourself doing, regardless of where you find yourself in life today, there is purpose for you. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care what your background is. I don't care your lack of education. I don't care your, your, your sin. I don't care about all of those things. Jesus' grace covers all of those things, and he gives you, he allows you to be a part of his story. If you hear nothing else, hear that this morning, that there is, a, there is hope that we have in Jesus, and not only have hope for eternity, but hope for him to use us even today. Now in our life. So Paul lays out some specifics at, at, at addressing this. So today I'm going to talk about three challenges that happen in the process of ongoing spiritual formation. So as I mentioned, we'll be, found, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible or device, you can turn, that, turn to that. Um, the words will also be on the screen. So three things, real quick, jumping into this, that Paul mentions, and then we'll jump into the text. Number one is work on yourself. Work on yourself. So verse 3, we're going to start there and just kind of take it section by section this morning. So Romans 12 verse 3 says this, For by grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You Okay, so uh, if you read chapter 11, Paul is kind of reiterating what he has said in chapter 11, and that is, hey, take, have a self-evaluation, right? Um, don't think of yourself that you've got it all going on, right? Um, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. So the first thing Paul does is call attention to his own dependence on grace, Okay, for by grace given me. 
He is saying, I could easily begin to think too highly of myself as an apostle were it not for one thing, grace. It all begins with grace. All my calling, all my gifts, all the authority that Paul is speaking from is a work of God's grace in his life. Paul is saying, I don't deserve it. I don't muster it up. It is all about grace. And it's this uh, reminder that we must continually remind ourselves of this simple truth. Our lives consist of God's grace. Everything that you do, everything you devote your life to, everything that you've been given is from God. We are saved by grace. We grow by grace. We are transformed by grace. We are here. We are what we are only by God's grace. So Paul goes on, uh, in one, uh, one particular translation, he says this. Paul says to take an honest evaluation. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself. One translation says, take an honest evaluation. An honest evaluation. He's saying, take an inventory. If you've had any exposure to... Um, the 12 steps or anything that, that speaks to the 12 steps, there is a step that addresses taking an honest inventory of yourself and how often do we have to do this. Right? This isn't a one-time inventory. This isn't uh, you just take it and you put it on the shelf. Everything is good. You deal with it. You sort through it and then you put it back on the shelf. This is a daily inventory and actually this 12 steps, name it that way, a, take a daily inventory. I have, Chad Helms, has to take a daily inventory because I mess it up every day, right? I recognize that God's, uh, I'm not relying on God's grace every day, or I am, um, I get to the end of the day, and, I, and, and it's easy for me to see all the things that I didn't do, and all the screw-ups that I made, and how, the mistakes that I made with my kids, and my thoughts, and all of these things, and what do I do? I have to return to God's grace, because apart from Him, I am nothing, Right? We must acknowledge that it begins with God's grace. And this is important to take an honest evaluation of our lives every day because we don't have, if we don't have an honest evaluation of ourselves, we won't have a proper understanding of our gifts. So this is what I mean. We can allow things to define us in life that were never meant to define us. We have, not only we can, Chad Helms has allowed things in my life to define me that were never meant to define me. Okay? Um, it's not by accident that Paul begins with grace. A lot of people don't consciously begin with grace, and frankly, a lot of ministers, a lot of people in the church don't begin with grace because we don't properly understand grace many times. It's like, it's almost like um, there's this natural tendency to think you graduate beyond grace. So God, God, his grace saves me, and he brought me into relationship with him. Now it's up to me to maintain that relationship. How easy is that, guys? And then when we don't fulfill our end of the bargain, 
we look back and say, man, I'm messing it up. I've got to do better tomorrow, and I've got to, I got to change this, and I've got, to, I've got to, you know, we start, talk, we start thinking of all the ways that we've messed up, and simply God wants us to return to his grace. His grace. Yes, there is a responsibility on our part, but it begins with God's grace. And Paul begins with God's grace because apart from God's grace, there would be other things that would define Paul. Apart from God's grace, there are other things that will define you. So if I'm looking at my life and you fill in your own blanks, that my name is Chad Helms. Helms means something to me because of my family. My family. There's a lot of um, good things in terms of where I come from, my family of origin. Um, if, I, if I'm not careful, I could uh, maybe develop a pers- perspective about my last name. Uh, I come from a long line of ministers. Um, maybe you come from a long line of, of entrepreneurs or hard workers and, and, you know, or a, a certain type of education or a certain type of job. And so it's easy to kind of see yourself in that light. Um, I'm a husband, a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a musician. Um, I could find uh, my uh, defining moments in my life. Through those things, um, we can even do it by how where we live. Uh, in fact, this morning, I am driving to um, to the church early this morning, and I and I had seen that one of my friends he pastors the Vineyard uh, Mission in San Antonio, and so he had posted this um, this article from Texas Weekly. Texas Weekly is this Texas Monthly, excuse me, is this magazine that they put out. It's a real nice magazine. They actually have a show from time to time. And they had uh, talked about the roots of San Antonio and how that it's now, in their opinion, one of the most interesting places to live in the USA. So I replied. I said, obviously, Texas Monthly has never visited Knoxville, Tennessee. Right? And there's nothing wrong with loving a place, right? There's nothing wrong with loving a state where you live. And, And even the nation that we live in. I mean, I thank God so much for, uh, for America. The fact that we live here. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with thanking God that we have the freedom to worship like we did this morning that so many people, guys, do not have. They just don't. And those are all good things. But it's funny how sometimes a state can become kind of an idol. It can. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, and um, sometimes it's like the comments about Oklahoma that I get, I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I, you know, I know it's the place where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. I get all that. It's a good place, uh, but it's not heaven, right? It's just a place. Um, so we can attach our identity and our worth to a lot of things, even like friendships and our jobs and um, what you have achieved in your jobs. Maybe it's a particular set of skills. Maybe it's your Bible knowledge, right? Maybe it's how many pins you consistently, uh, that you can wear for consecutive weeks that you've attended church. You know, all of those, remember the Sunday school pins, if you grew up in church, the Sunday school pins that you get. Uh, I remember every year they'd have this award ceremony, you know, on a Sunday night, and they'd hand out faithful pins, you know, for people who had never missed Sunday school that week. You know, the things that we get wrapped up in, okay? We don't hand out pins here, okay? Uh, if I do, just run, 
Like if I say we're handing out pins tonight, just don't even wait. Just run through the back doors. They're right there. Um, We don't do that. We can get wrapped up and our identity can get caught up in a lot of things. But Paul is a good reminder that it all begins with faith. It all begins with grace. That regardless of our accomplishments, it is the grace of God that you sit here right now. It is the grace of God. Oftentimes, we use our gift to create worth within ourselves, which can turn into pride. We then can use our pride to force our worth onto other people. Right? This is... This is the way I expect you to see me. This is the way I expect you to, to, react, to react to me or to relate to me or to address me. Um, if we're not careful, we can kind of enforce that. So pride is simply a feeling or deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. And Paul deflected that. He said, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. There's another section in the scripture that actually Paul addresses, and he says, hey, if, it were, if, if there were an elite of the elite in terms of Christians, I would be one of them. And he lays out all of the reasons why, like his family of origin, all of these things. But Paul goes back and he says, you know what? It's, nothing, it's none of that. It's simply grace. So pride can creep in, and because of this, we end up measuring ourselves and others if we're not careful. So there are things in our life that have been successful that we can create our identity or attach our worth to. But there's also things in our life that haven't been so successful that we can create and attach our identity to. Successes and failures. Right? The times we get it right, the times we get it wrong. The times where we feel like we've earned our walk with Jesus and the times where we feel like we're letting him down all the time. And because you and I are human, we always have this tendency to focus on one of those paths. Right? So we have many things that we are proud of, many things that we aren't proud of. But Paul reminds us it begins with grace. And he reminds us that it is a gift from God. In those moments, I have to remind myself, Chad, you didn't earn this. Chad, this gift was not created based upon what you did. Or who you know, or where you come from. or not. Just fill in the blanks. Whatever those things are, it is a gift from God, no matter what you have today, what you carry, the things that you are able to do, the people that you're around, the work that you're in, all of those things is a gift from God. He goes on and says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. He's saying sound judgment. Think of yourself with sound judgment. He uses the word think multiple times. It's the Greek word, Greek, Greek word phreneo, phreneo. And here's the little, literal translation. Do not superthink of yourself more highly than you are. Do not superthink. Do not, do not put yourself in a superhero status. Right? Do not superthink of yourself more highly than you are. 
This is important. Paul is stressing the importance that we think humbly about ourselves. And he continues on by saying, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. How are we measuring ourselves? By the faith God gives us. Not by our abilities, not by our accomplishments, not by who we are, but because of who God is. To have sound judgment means that we are to recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. Who is Chad Helms in Jesus Christ? Who, who am I? What has God allowed me to do? Uh, and, and returning to that thanks, thankfulness of, of grace every day because of who he is, not because of who I am. We do so according to the measure of faith we have been given. So this, this phrase, measure of faith, of, of faith, excuse me, does not refer to saving faith, okay? But to a capacity to serve. Every Christian has been given grace that is designed to lead to God-honoring service in those around us. But before we can serve effectively, there is a standard of thinking we must adopt in order to measure our service, and that's humility. Returning to grace and everything that we do through humility. So this takes us to our second point. So first point was work on ourselves. Second is work together. Work together. Paul makes an analogy heading into verse 4. It says this, verse 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, in Christ, we through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You can go back and read. Uh, you can read First Corinthians twelve, and it really touches on this in more detail. But he's going back. He's he's touching on this again. The fact that we are a body. If you are in the body of Christ, you are a member of one body. This neutralizes our tendency to elevate our gift. In fact, it communicates the need, the need for your gift within the context of an entire group of people, the church. We need one another. Uh, last night, we went to a, um, um, a birthday dinner, and uh, a <clears throat> good friend of mine, who has quickly become a good friend of mine, and... Um, and uh, he had p- pity on Chad Stewart, so he invited Chad Stewart there as well. And uh, so Chad was there, and, um, and a guy named Daniel, his wife pastors the Springbrook Vineyard, he, uh, he was asking me, you know, we were talking a little bit about Knoxville, and he's just, Chad's sitting on the other side of him, and he said, uh, man, you know, I've, you know I've, I've asked Chad, how's it going? And, and uh, Chad, you know, kinds of, finds it hard to complain about what God's doing in Knoxville, and, and um Chad was like, yeah, he just preaches the same old message over and over. Jesus, community, Jesus, community, Jesus, community. And he was completely playing, but yet how true that is, right? That everything that we do, like the two greatest commandment, is love God and love one another. And everything that we do, guys, feeds into those. In our relationship with him, in our relationship with one another. And in the first point, we're talking about our relationship with God is returning to his, uh, to his grace and who he is and who he's enabled you and I to be. And now we're talking about the outflow of that is with one another, that we are a part of the same 
body. We are part of the same body. A few things jump out in this text to me. Uh, first of all, your body has many members, right? We're all, we all fulfill a different part of the body. Second is each member is important, right? Every part is important, right? Have you ever stumped your big toe? It's amazing. Or even, even your pinky toe, right? The most insignificant part of your body. Yeah, try walking on that easily. Try running a marathon on that, right? We don't realize the need that we have for one another until something happens. And the third thing that jumps out at me is every member depends on other members. So your body has many members. Each one is important, and we all depend on one another. Our middle son, his name is Mathen. He is six years old. He had a stroke in the womb. Uh, Destiny had to have an emergency appendectomy uh, beyond her eighth month of pregnancy. <clears throat> and um, so they're opening her up and literally working around Mathen, who's stay, still intact in the womb. And so he, su- he suffered the highest level of, of bleed out. They're one to four in terms of a stroke. He had the highest level. And uh, we didn't know it at the time. We didn't know this until about six months after he was born. And we, he had an MRI, and it showed still the effects of the bleed out in the brain and the level of the bleed out it was. And let me tell you, uh, man, we were, f- we were filled with gratitude because a level four, many of those kids who have that in the womb, uh, they die. Uh, or there is additional handicaps, mental handicaps. Uh, they're blind. They're deaf. And it's like it had the opposite effect on Mathen. Like he came out the most determined kid you'll ever meet in your entire life. He's like, I'm going to show this world who I am. And uh, we're grateful because he's such a super um, just determined kid. But there are natural effects to what happened. And so the right side of his body, he, he struggles with. You know, if you've seen Mathen, he, he does this. He walks on his, his right toe. And um, he, there's just, there's some learning um, disabilities and things. And like the kid has the most street smarts of a six-year-old I've ever met. Like he, the, the kid is just, he's very observant. Uh, but when it comes to some natural ways of learning, some traditional ways of learning, he struggles. And so we have been taking him to um, this therapy three times uh, a week in West Knox. And uh, it's a commitment every week. Three times a week. And then when we're not taking him there, we're at home doing those exercises every night, every night, every night. What are we doing? We're, we're strengthening the side that is weak. We're, we're almost, uh, they're intentionally shutting off the strong side to build up the weak side. They're, 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 they're creating ways that strengthen, like even create new uh, neurological pathways in the brain. It's amazing uh, just to hear and read about the things that can happen and, and what can happen. But, but, but it takes support from the other members, right? Because he walks with a limp on his right leg, uh, because he doesn't hold here, he's more dependent on the other members of his body to help him in the weak areas. And that's what the church is called to do. There have been moments in my life, guys, where I was completely crippled. I, couldn't feel, I felt like I couldn't walk. I almost lost my marriage. I had hit bottom. But because of the grace of God, 
returning to grace. And then the body of Christ coming around me and my wife and us as a family and us as a couple. Let me tell you, if it was not for that, I would not be standing here right now. I would not be standing in front of you because of the grace that God has given me. I'm not apart from you. Like, I'm in this with you. Just because I'm up here does not mean that I've got this figured out. I walk this path with you. I am in need of God's grace just like you are. And I am in need of you just like you're in need of me. That's the body of Christ. That's what you and I are called to walk out. Not some, not some show my face on Sunday morning and act like everything's good so I, can, so I can go home and I can do my thing just to make it back to another week. We are called to be the body of Christ. That means we are connected. That means we are walking life. When you have your, your weak side, the strong side, we're going to come up and we're going to hold you up through prayer, but not only prayer, but with tangible ways. That's what we are called to be. Do you realize that in belonging to the body, we belong to each other? Connection with Christ means connected, being connected with each other. Dallas Willard said this, We have multitudes of Christians who will, may be ready to die, but obviously are not ready to live and can hardly get along with themselves much less others. That's not in your Knoxville. We are called to love one another. At our block party, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. How are you doing in your relationships with other members? Number three. Okay, so we talked about work on ourselves. Working together, number three, one thing that happens during the spiritual process of transformation is we are called to work it out. Work it out. Verse 6 through 8 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. <clears throat> it is ser- if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We are to deploy our gifts as the ministry of the whole body. This is not a comprehensive list. Okay, There are some people that, that literally teach uh, well, this isn't the full list, but in terms of giftings, that this is it, and we've got to, what am I called to do? No, he, Paul is just saying, don't get, don't get bogged down in the details. Paul is having a conversation, and he's saying, hey, whatever it is, do it. Just, just, just do it. Like, return to grace, okay? Understand that there's benefit in the body with you being a member and now, let's experience the benefits. Let's all be the body together. And whatever God's called you to do, if that's a left hand to help the right hand, then, then do it to the best of your ability. If that's serving, then serve well. Whatever you do, do it. Whatever you do on your job, do it to the best of your ability. If you are a husband, serve your wife and serve your kids well. 
when you open up your home to people, do it well. Invite them in and, 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 and be the hands and feet of Jesus. In those areas that you are driven and that you devote your life and your service and your skills to, do it to the best of your ability for God and for the benefit of others. We should be the ones affecting culture. We should be the ones that are serving well, loving well, giving well, holding up well, assisting well, giving, leading. All of those things that, that you do that God has gifted you to do, do it for the benefit of him and others. So three primary benefits of working out your spiritual gifts. These are real quick. Number one, God will be glorified when you do this. Your spiritual gifts are ultimately designed to bring glory to God. This, this is our, our calling, to bring glory to God in our lives. So God will be glorified. Not, the second thing is others will benefit. Okay, spiritual gifts are to be given for the building up of Christ and for the body of Christ. So I need your gift. You need my gift. We need one another's gift. Okay, so God will be glorified. Others will benefit. Thirdly, you will be satisfied. I ask the question, and in the, in, in the opening statement was, have you asked yourself, God, what, what am I here to do? What am I called to do? This is what we're called to do. Okay? All the other things that you do are an expression of these things. They are. They're an expression of these things. You will be satisfied. Knowing and using your gifts will allow you to discover a significant part of your purpose for living. You will also have a sense of fulfillment and joy in serving others. There's a scripture in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Um, Bert, come on up. It says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Okay, You've always followed, but now that I'm away... It's more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. If you've been um, around the church for long, um, you might have heard it in this context. Uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we've used that in the context of, well, what is right for you may not be right for me. But that's completely missing the point. What he's saying is, when you are a follower of Jesus, the things that he has done in you should naturally work themselves out to the benefit of God and those around you. Like, work out your salvation. Don't, uh, don't get into this pattern of coming Sunday and thinking you're doing your job there's benefit in coming on Sunday. Trust me, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all. Like this, That's good. But let me just tell you, God's put more in you than that. And as we serve him and as we lean into him, I still have to depend on God for my salvation to be worked out in my life. And how that looks with him, how that looks with others. There should be a natural posture of serving because that's my salvation being worked out. Does that make sense? To be this natural way of loving, guys, because 
God's working in us, we understand his grace, right? We're walking in humility and we're allowing God to bring those things out of us. We're working out our love. We're working out God's grace with others. We're working out our salvation through the forgiveness of others. To becoming more like Jesus. All of the, And here's the thing. No matter where you're at, no matter how long you've served Jesus, that process will never end as long as we are taking breaths here on this earth. So whether you've followed Jesus, you don't know Jesus, or you've followed him for one week, or you have followed him for 50 years, we are all in this process together. I am on this process right with you. I'm probably behind a lot of you. We are on this process together. God wants us to work it out. To remember the grace. To remember the work that he did and he did alone. That we will remember that we are called to work out that grace with one another. That we work together as the body of Christ to strengthen those areas that are weak. And then we work them out.